Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Our scripture this morning comes from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 7. So you can turn there or you can click there or however you're reading the scripture these days. It's also in your program as well. So you can follow along there. Uh, so for 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 7, says this. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness and in love for you. So we also want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know that the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter, I'm giving my advice. It is appropriate for you to be who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. So now I'm finishing it so that by your eagerness you may may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift of acceptable, it will be acceptable according to what one has done, not not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others or pressure on you, but it is a question of fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need, in order that there may be a fair balance, as it is written, to one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to focus this morning on verse 9. I want to read it again in this version and then give it to you also in another version. Uh, Verse 9, the core, I think the core verse in this passage says this, For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And here it is in the New Living Translation. You know that the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. What a beautiful verse this morning. And really, it's an echo of another passage of Scripture, a famous passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2. And so to help get us to where we need to be in our passage this morning, I actually want to review Philippians chapter 2. So Philippians chapter 2 is a famous passage of scripture that says, Have the same mind of Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, but took on the form of a servant and became obedient even to the point of death. In this great Philippians poem, we have one of the greatest declarations of the character of Christ as one who is willing to give up rights and privileges in order to become human and serve. In other words, Christ is one who did not declare his rights. He did not demand his rights. He did not fight for his rights. He laid down his rights in, for the, in order, and privilege in order to serve others. Church, can I remind you today that we serve a God who possesses every right, but lays them down in order to serve. And just let that soak over ourselves and our lives. We serve a God who possesses every right, 
but has laid them down in, and in order that he might serve. And so this core verse in our passage, verse nine, is really an echo and communicates a similar message as that in Philippians chapter two. The difference though, is that Paul now employs in our passage in second Corinthians, a financial metaphor that he might communicate the gospel through that metaphor. And, And it's actually pretty loaded, right? As you read verse nine, there's a lot going on there doesn't matter what translation you use. It's kind of, it it stirs something in us, but we don't know exactly what, or we don't know maybe the fullness of what's being talked about in this passage. And so let's kind of break down this message of how Paul communicates the gospel using financial metaphor. First, he says, Jesus was rich. Now, of course, we know from historical evidence that Jesus was actually quite poor tangibly poor. So in what way was Jesus rich? And what is Paul talking about here? Well, I think he's talking about this. The riches of Jesus are the honor and glory he possessed as one who was equal to God. So he was rich in honor. So his, his, his wealth, his richness comes from the honor and glory that belongs to him as one who is co-equal with the father. Are you with me? So then Paul says, but through a great act of generosity, right? So that he possesses this richness, then through a great act of generosity, Jesus became poor. Now we know from the historical evidence of scripture, as I've mentioned, that Jesus was actually physically tangibly poor. And this bears out in his death. What we find is it was pretty unusual for poor folks to die on a cross, The cross was reserved for slaves, for disgraced soldiers, for political activists that were stirring up movements that would fly in the face of the Roman way. That's who ended up on a cross. It usually wasn't people with money. And so Jesus in his poverty, it bears out in his death that he died a poor man's death on the cross. But the poverty actually of which Paul talks about here is that Jesus was shamed through this cruel death, even though he was an innocent man. So the riches of Christ were his honor and the poverty of Christ was his shame. Are you with me still? That there's this richness that he possesses, but then he gave all of that up. And in his death, that where he was brought, where shame was brought upon him, he became poor. He lost that honor. He gave that honor up. And Paul's contention and his point is that somehow through Jesus's poverty, you and I, all these thousands of years later, have been made rich. So how does that work? And what is Paul talking about here? Well. The death that Jesus died revealed the ugliness of the practice of crucifixion. It shed a light on a system that would put an innocent man to death. Jesus's great act of forgiveness then on the cross refounded the world on an axis of love rather than of revenge. The way that the world worked and the way that it was assumed that was, it worked is that when you were shamed, when you were offended, you, if you were in a position of power and as you used every bit of power that you could to, to assert revenge on those who hurt you, and yet Jesus did not respond with, forgive, with revenge, but instead responded with forgiveness. And when he did that, he refounded the world on an axis of love 
practiced through forgiveness rather than an axis of power that is like kept in check through violence and revenge. Are you with me? So, so what we have here is this like phenomenal kind of recapturing, retelling of the gospel story through financial metaphor. And the result then is that the impoverished condition of our sin can be set right and we can be, be made rich in God's grace. So the richness of the gospel, the promise of riches in the gospel is not that we would have plenty. It is simply that we would be rich in God's grace grace. Okay, this is why, this is why the witness of the Roman centurion is so important. Many of the gospel writers include it because it's absolutely key to the story. The Roman centurion would have been involved in the beating and the nailing of Jesus on the cross, and yet he witnessed Jesus offer forgiveness, take his last breath without vengeful anger toward his accuser. And so at that very moment, um, it was like a mirror was brought up to the centurion. He saw the evil of the system that put this man to death. He saw the evil that he was participating in. And in that moment, his confession was surely this man was the son of God. Are you with me? It's actually quite, quite beautiful and quite powerful uh, if we really grasp onto it and we get it. And so this is the, this is the thing. This is what Paul is telling us. Christ was rich. He became poor. And then through the poverty of Christ, you and I and anyone that would come to faith in Christ will be made rich in God's grace. Yes. And amen to the church, right? This should be exciting. Okay. So What's most interesting about this passage, though, is the context in which Paul is sharing this. Because this is significant, deep theological work about the character of God, about the work of Christ. It's really important, but what, what becomes really compelling is when we recognize what is Paul talking about? What is the context in which he shares this beautiful message? And I wanna tell you this morning without a hint of sarcasm, the context is that Paul is receiving a financial offering. He's asking for money. And, and that's crazy, right? So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Here's what was happening uh, in the history of like what would motivate Paul to say this. The Jewish Christians in Jerusalem had fallen on hard times and were living impoverished. So Paul started to go around to the churches that he planted and raise money for the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who were uh, going through a season of need. And so he would receive offerings among the churches that he had planted. Now, what's important is that the churches he planted were not Jewish Christians. They were Gentile Christians. They were non-Jewish Christians in places like uh, Galatia, Macedonia, Corinth, and others. And what we find is that the churches responded positively and with generosity to support the Jerusalem church as a sign of unity in Christ the Messiah. With one exception, the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was not wanting to give. They were not wanting to be generous. And so... They were less enthusiastic. Now, I know what all of you are thinking. It's at this point in the message that many of you are probably thinking, now this is where Andy announces the capital campaign. And we're going to build a building right where we are, right here today. This is going to be a beautiful new sanctuary. There's no capital campaign announcement today. 
Uh, there's nothing like that. There's, we, we do have an offering box in the back, but no ushers will pass by, I, I promise. Like, uh, this is not uh, any kind of manipulation on my part. This is the passage for the week out of the lectionary, right? So here it is, okay? Uh, so I promise you no capital campaign. And so the Corinthian church was not responding to the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ with generosity. And the Apostle Paul really saw this as a problem. But he didn't see it as a financial problem. He saw it as a theological problem. And his point is this. If the Corinthians were living without generosity, then they had not fully understood the gospel. And there it is. That's the whole message. That was, that was Paul's whole message to the Corinthian church, and that's my whole message to us. That if we live lives that are not marked in some way by generosity, then we haven't really fully understood the gospel. Or maybe we've simply applied the generosity of the gospel to ourselves, but not allowed that generosity to flow through us. That God's intention really in many ways is for us to be a conduit as we receive the goodness of God, the grace of God, as we become rich in God's grace, we are to be a conduit by which God passes through us so that we embody that same generosity and grace to others. And so what Paul was doing is seeking to communicate the gospel using financial metaphor as a way of seeking to motivate the Corinthian church to giving in support of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. But his approach is not, you need to give more money because of this. His approach is theological. If we really understand the gospel, then we will begin to live lives of generosity because we have understood the generosity that we have received in Christ. Amen? The invitation for us then is clear. Sometimes we need to do a lot of work and a lot of discernment to understand how the scriptures are relevant to our modern lives, but this one hits us right in the face and is really obvious. Uh, that we are in response to the generosity of God to live lives of generosity as well. And so I would just want to remind us, I know all of you know this, um, but I just want to spend a couple moments uh, at the end of my message to remind us that generosity can come in all kinds of forms. And of course, one of the ways that we think about it immediately is we can be generous in the way that we give and spend money. Um, if you benefit from a faith community and the teaching of a local church, then supporting that local church is a great place to start. Um, but there's many other great organizations that are doing phenomenal work that are well-deserving of your generosity as well. And also, generosity can be spent in how we give of our time. Um, there are a multi multitude of, of great organizations that not only need financial support, but need volunteer support. And of course, the church is one, right? I, I happen to have... Um, a, a little bit of passion for this thing called the church. Uh, and so I think that you should support the church with your time and your money in some ways. But I don't want to say that that's the only organization because there are lots of phenomenal things doing great work that need um, both time of volunteers and money. And that's why 
We told you about faith, family, hospitality, and an opportunity that you have to be generous with your time. If our lives are to look like Jesus, they are going to be generous lives. If our lives are going to look like Jesus, they're going to be generous lives. For Jesus was the one who possesses all rights, all privileges, and yet lays them down in order to serve others. And so I invite you this week into a process of discernment of how you might step, take one step toward greater generosity in your life. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you feel like, you, you know, you're giving financially, that's awesome. Is there a way that you can give of your time? Um, maybe there's other ways that you can think about that you can be generous toward others. And so I just want to invite you into a process of discernment this week that just says, just kind of open yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit and say, how can I take one step forward or one step toward greater levels of generosity in my lives, in my life? And so here's a couple concrete ways. Look at the budget, decide, is there room to give something away to a cause uh, to begin tithing at the local church, whatever it is? Uh, or are there ways to, you can look at the calendar and say, uh, there's some margin in my calendar and I'm going to give some time away. Or maybe there's no margin in your calendar and it's all kind of focused on you. And maybe there's a way that you can kind of let something of that go in order that you might give something else to others. Um, and that's just a process of discernment that usually is difficult, right? Usually is hard to make those adjustments. But I think I, I want to echo Paul's words here that if we really understand the beauty of the gospel and how generous God has been toward us, then we will respond with lives of generosity. Amen. Well, let me say a word of prayer and then I'll lead us to the Lord's table today. Gracious and generous God, you have been so hospitable toward us in your grace, in the way that you love us, in the work of Christ on the cross. God, for all of those things, we are forever grateful. I pray that we would respond by living lives that are generous, by living lives that echo and demonstrate the generosity that you have shown to us. So Lord, help us in these endeavors as we go through this week, this process of discernment, of recognizing what are some areas of our life and our budget or our time or whatever else it may be that we can be generous. God, I pray that you would lead us and guide us and um, that we would have the courage then to respond in obedience. So God, be with us now as we gather around the Lord's table. May you meet us here as we receive from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.